Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Alicia Shanice Reviews. I am your host, it's your girl Shanice coming back at you with another podcast. We are on episode 60 and today's topic is the documentary Crack. It is on Netflix, Um, it's 2021, a documentary that I've been wanting to talk about. One of the reasons we're talking about this is because we're doing the Snowfall series and you know I like to intertwine the documentaries with the show with the true life events so i've been talking about this for a while and by we're starting season two of snowfall i think it's only right we dox this documentary this was a really strong uh doc um i will drop my snowfall season two review for episode one and two tonight so that will be out as well and happy friday i hope you guys are enjoying your day um like i said before for a while we're gonna only gonna you know record towards the end of the week during the weekends we'll drop you know three episodes we'll do our snowfalls um whatever else is coming on and of course you know we're gonna uh recap bmf on sundays as well So that's pretty much it that I have upcoming. The TV show You premieres in about almost two weeks. So we're going to dox that too. So I hope you guys have caught up on the TV show You. It airs on Netflix. Um, It'll probably be 10 episodes. Season one and season two is already on there. It's kind of like a suspenseful television show. So yeah, just catch up on season one and two. Or if you haven't, it's really, really good. And we'll be doing BMF every Sunday. Um, you can follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can do um, Facebook and IG, all under the same, Alicia Shanice. You can follow all of my playlists that I have made public. They are all on Spotify's streaming service. All of my playlists are under Shanice Loves. The channel, you know, it's under is Alicia Shanice, but all of the playlists start with Shanice Loves, and I have every playlist that you could think of. So tune in and enjoy if you have that good Spotify. If you don't, go ahead and download it. It's a pretty dope streaming service. Don't forget, if you live in the Atlanta area, um, in the Roswell area to be specific, Ambient Health and Wellness Spa will be opening up. Doors open October 25th. They will be specializing in mineral detox body wraps, vaginal steams, iconic foot baths, and colonics, mineral detox body wraps, the vaginal steams, the uh, Korean hip baths, the hydrotherapy colonics, the Himalayan salt and sauna therapy, and much more. In the times we're living in now, health is wealth as always. And, you know, some stressful times. So why not come in and enjoy you a good spa day? That will be at 800 Old Roswell Lakes Parkway, Soup 250, Roswell, Georgia, 30076. $10 off any service with the flyer. And you can follow them on Facebook and IG, Ambience Health and Wellness Spa. Also, the website to book your appointments are at www.ambience.com ambiencehealthspa.com if you enjoy good books i'm going to continue shot this one out some things i've been through a memoir by jamil from gully tv it is straight crack like the documentary we're about to get into 
fire. And Jamil has a platform on YouTube, Gully TV. It has over 100,000 subscribers. Um, he covers hip-hop, sports, and fashion. Really dope channel. Check it out. Dope interviews and everything. So on that note, I don't want to have you guys here too long. I hope you are tuning in to all of my Snowfall reviews. I'll drop season two tonight for episode one and two. I hope you guys are checking out season one. If not, go back and check that out before season five drops at the top of the year and i think that's pretty much it so don't forget i'll be back on tonight come check me out and i'll be here on sunday so on that note let's get into the show name is shanice and she's the one her name is shanice and she's the one all right guys let's go ahead and get into this i hope you guys love documentaries because i know i do and i know on this platform we will be talking about many to come so just um to announce again this is on netflix it is real, real fire. Because crack, cocaine, corruption, and conspiracy. And we open it up. When it opens up, we see a former user. And she's saying, you know, when it came to this drug, it didn't matter, you know, what type of person you were. Once you got on crack, everything went out the window. And we see that. We see... um the old commercials from the 80s in here we see old music videos we see chuck d bass 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 we see that we see peewee herman and if you are from the 80s we all know who peewee herman was he has a commercial saying you know stay away from crack drugs are you know bad for you and just cheesy commercials are in there we see even clint eastwood is in there you know saying just say no you know so we see the per se what they like to call the war on drugs the 80s epidemic on how they were the media was having commercials all over about what was going on in the inner cities and all over we even see um in the 80s on how it was this was on a real news footage on how it was like a stereotype on the news on the air um where you know a news anchor was talking and in the back we see crack and black on real news footage like it was a stereotype that crack was only a black drug and even though it was in the inner city of course we know it was much more people smoking crack and we'll get more into that a little bit down the line we see miss hillary clinton honey real footage of her and she um is saying during one of her press press conferences um and this was before clinton became president this was in the 80s uh she's saying they are not just gangs anymore they are not kid gangs they are super predators we see that and um you know that takes me back to when um i watched did you guys see when they see us um 
based on the Central Park Five story. Um, now we like to call them the Exonerated Five, of course. But I went back. I told you guys before, if you rock with my platform, you already know me. I When I see something... I like to know the real stories. So I go do my research and most of the stories, especially like in the New York Times, I've already read up on them. I read a lot of stuff like this. I've read a lot of the um, old Kingpin's book, especially in the New York area. So, um, you know, I knew about the story of the Central Park Five, but when the um, when the the TV series, the mini TV series came out, of course, you want to go do more research and i watched the real interrogation of when those boys got um interrogated without a lawyer without a parent and that was all over youtube with uh raymond santana yusuf Corey. all of their um interrogations were uh were recorded so um, when we see them, we see that the um, lady who's uh, interviewing them, interrogating them and saying, did you smoke crack? Were you smoking crack yesterday? Was this crack? And you see how they just were talking about them. And, you know, this was in 89. Um, we also go to see, you know, we can't have nothing 80s without seeing Nancy and Ronald Reagan. And Reagan is promising and Nancy is sitting there smiling like the trophy wife. We will get the users and the dealers. Like this documentary had me all over in my feelings, emotional, <laughs> because the media was playing a lot of games. Um, a lot of this stuff happened. A lot of this stuff was true, but it was also a lot of media propaganda in here and a lot of stereotyping. And that was terrible. And it's more terrible when you think about how everything got over here. And that's one reason why I love, you know, talking about the TV shows that I prefer to talk about on here. Um, you know, we have our fun with other shows, of course. But like when I get off into the narcos, even though these are true, true true television, you know, based off of true events is showing you, if you look at it on how the cocaine got over here. And then that's why I'm so into the snowfall as well. It's showing you on what it, what happened when it got over here in the communities, what it did. And it went everywhere, but it's showing you what it did to, you know, the upper echelon per se neighborhoods and the inner city neighborhoods. And we also see the middleman who played on both sides. So that's one reason I like to talk about those shows because it's inspired by true events and it all kind of ties together, you know. So that's what, you know, I like to do. And this documentary had me emotional. Um, we see when big man Bush, when he got in, after Reagan, he 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 made it his he he spoke his word. He said, Take my word for this. This scourge will stop. And Big Bush laid the blueprint for Clinton. And we'll get more into that later. This is more on how it's opening up and it we're seeing all of the key factors. We're seeing the commercials. We're seeing, you know, the videos on how crack was, you know commercialized and stereotyped where it was just the blacks and they were animals you know that's how they tried to put it in the media we're seeing how hillary clinton the clintons and how the political figures were was talking we're seeing reagan we're seeing nancy just say no and we're seeing bush that was his thing when he got in he was coming in and he was not about to play games and the rules were about to change. So that's how we see on the beginning of the documentary. They're showing us everything that was going on in the 80s. 
Um, they also they also show real footage, and we see the planes dropping the cases, the loads of drugs off. They're just dropping them off, dropping them off off the planes. <laughs> we've also seen that when we've covered narcos and much more as well. But this was real footage, guys. This was real footage. This this documentary had me emotional. Um, this is one of the best docs that I've seen come out this year, and um, I also think this is one of the best ones on how they could broke break down on how the drug epidemic was in the the decade of the 80s. You know, this wasn't a one, two-year thing. This was a full decade. And when we really get into the beginning of the documentary after the opening, we see Reagan, he came in being full of shit. Reagan was the first one <clears throat> that said, make America great again, verbatim, you know, Um it had during one of his speeches, he like, you know, we'll do this and we're going to do this for the inner cities and we're going to do that. We're going to bring this in and we're going to make America great again. And that was in a documentary. I'm not making that up. <clears throat> we seen it coming out of his mouth verbatim. And in the 80s, there was money coming in. But in, you know, when they were bringing in cocaine, the cocaine was what they would call the rich man's drug it was the the rich the elite their social drug you know it was a social drug a lot of people did it when they were in the music industry out partying um people who were on wall street you know they get out for the weekend it was people with money they had it the inner cities couldn't afford it so in 1983 you know early 80s that's when it was coming in and it was social. Like I said, in the seventies, everybody was on grass per se and, and more. But, um, in 1983, when Scarface dropped in the movie theaters, that was like the commercial of powder cocaine, you know, Scarface made the dealers want to become dealers. You know, it was just like a Broadway commercial and it hit every community you know you see this poor cuban coming over here and the world is his in miami you know so that was like just a broadway commercial of cocaine and nobody had ever seen it done like that we had the godfather out you know everybody wanted to be like the mobster that was the first you know big tale of the uh, costa nostra family but we seen on how the mob was working in that. But when when Scarface hit, some of everybody seen their life like they wanted to be Tony Montana. And that showed that in a documentary as well. And in the meantime, at the expense of the inner city, the Reagan administration, when he got in, he eliminated half a million from welfare. The welfare, the welfare rules had changed and one million people were cut off from food stamps. Um, 2.6 million women and children were cut off from free lunch programs. In 1982 was one of the highest rates of unemployment. In 1982 to 1984, cocaine increased by 50%. 
63% of tons of cocaine, 60, um, sorry, 63 tons of cocaine was coming in to the U.S. by that time. And the more it came in, it shows us in the documentary, the more prices got the falling down because it was just more and more and more. And it was coming in all in all directions and everybody, everybody had a hand in it. <clears throat> and that's the, the sad part that everybody had a hand in it, you know, even the so-called government allegedly. So uh, in a documentary we see, and this became like a running joke because everybody, you know, he even made it a joke himself, but we see real footage of Richard Pryor. And um, with that, we seen real news footage as well. And, that was the first time the in the mainstream media they um they heard of freebasing. So we see that he set himself on fire, basically freebasing. And you know he did. He went on to do uh, put that into his stand up. And you know Richard Pryor, he had his you know his own issues as well. But one thing that Richard did was he always talked about stuff he did, so nobody else could talk about it for him. He always made jokes out of his life. And we'll definitely um, I know they're working on a movie for him, and we'll definitely uh, recap that as well. But yeah, this um this documentary was well done and it has a lot of footage in there of the 80s that you see how much time has changed and you see on just everything. So that was when you people really heard a free basing in the mainstream media from a high pro high profile you know, actor, comedian, which was Richard Pryor, because in the 80s, Richard Pryor was on fire. He was already solidified as a comedian. He was doing movies and to see that he set his set set himself on fire, you know, from this drug. And that's when everybody heard of it. So then we go to chapter two in the documentary, Crack. And I told you guys when we covered the original Freeway Ricky documentary, we were going to see him in here. And he goes on to say, you know, a lot of people at first used to buy it and cook it up yourself. And it takes a lot to even cook it up, kind of like chemistry in a way, self-science. You know, you got to cook it, weigh it, cut it. It's so much that go into that. And then now this is when it first hits. I'm not talking about everybody. That's that's what that's how he put it. And he said, you know, at first, then people just was like, you know what? I ain't got time to cook it up. I'd rather buy it already cooked. And that's what they started doing. And within <clears throat> when they um when they did it, they already wanted it rocked up. So that's what they did. And it showed us on how when they smoked it, it took 15 within 15 seconds, it went straight to the brain. And it was cheap. It went for five, ten dollars. And a lot of addicts and former users, they always say that the first hit would be like a chase for the rest of your life. Because every time you got high, you were chasing that first hit. You were trying to get that first high each time and you just weren't getting that. And the high went off fast and you were right back at it. You know, you went to go buy, then you was right back at the dealer. We see in this documentary, it is something that I love. I love watch. I love watching a well-done doc where it's coming from all sides. I hate watching a documentary that's one-sided. You know, I don't just want to hear from the dealers, you know, glorifying everything. I don't want to just hear from a law enforcement, 
you know, covering up all of their dirty ways. I love when it's well-rounded. And this documentary was well-rounded. We, we heard from former users telling their testimonies. We heard from former dealers say, saying why they got into the game, what made them get out, get out the game, how we lost so many people in the game, and on how their testimonies was of everything they went through as being dealers. We see former law enforcement in there. We're seeing old footage of political figures and how this was such a political corrupt movement and it actually was not a war on drugs per se we see in real news footage of murders that took place in crime scenes and you know just at all of arrest so that's one reason i really love this documentary we seen real journalists you know talking about the research they done and they found in there and it goes to see as it goes on it's just showing us on how everything was we see all the valves we see the red and the blue tops and we see former dealers in there we even seen a former dealer named wanda i thought that was funny because uh if you follow me on bmf remember i just said when a uh, southwest team a girl baby mama name was wanda i said child there was a wanda Wanda everywhere in the 80s it was somebody named Wanda in every neighborhood but she was a dealer and a former dealer and she was telling her story and it, this thing was so crazy because it was showing real news footage of how everything used to be and um, one of the, the media's thing that they would do is they would be like, let's just go on any Martin Luther King Street in any inner city and we're going to see this. We're going to take this um, this footage and we're going to put it on the news and make their community just look like shit. You know, because every community didn't look like that in the inner city, but they know on Martin Luther King Street in every neighborhood, that's like the rough street. And that would be a thing of theirs. Like, let's just go on MLK. Let's get this footage. Let's put this on the news. And, you know, they have the mainstream thinking that this is all that goes on. And um, <clears throat> they were when they were doing it, we would just see open lines, open lines in the 80s. People um, and this was more in New York, I'm everywhere, of course, but they were showing footage in New York and there were open lines. People were just standing there um, having traffic jams to get to get some rocks. And it would be like they were at going to the candy store. It would be a line full of people going to buy crack and it just showed you on how this shit was in the 80s um and then what i thought was really interesting is they put in there like okay everything was going on with this every day but on the weekends you would get another crowd on the weekends in new york everybody would come to the inner city white mexican whatever whoever wasn't even from around there they were uh, it wasn't just all black people that were crackheads or on crack per se was former users it was other people and it was a lot of white folks in there too and they would come into the inner city and they would buy on the weekends it would be their party drug and it showed it like you've seen full-on lines people standing in lines just to get get it pay the dealer get on out people coming in and the traffic jams they pay it they skirt off and it, it was just crazy because it was so wide open the police would see it everyone would see it and nobody would do anything police would turn a blind eye like they wanted and it shows you like 
nobody even wanted wanted it to stop but then when it was time to stop it wasn't no problem and we'll see we see who got arrested and who got took in and we'll get to that a little later on and dillard's had the attitude that and that goes on to this day that they would sell to anybody. They would sell to their mama, daddy, grandma, the granddaddy, because they had the attitude of like, they going to get it from somewhere. At least I know they getting it from me. And they were like street capitalists, you know, like they just had that attitude. And we had kids who were coming, who were becoming kingpins. And that's the thing that's, disheartening when you hear um a lot of these people who got caught up in this per se drug war they were teenagers and some of them are still majority of them are still in there to this day locked up and they were kids and you know they say you know this is the media they tell us that your brain is not fully developed till you're 25 some of these kids were 16 17 that got locked up and are still locked up to this day from this so-called war on drugs and we see even in the story paid in full that is a cult classic when you look at the story of alpo rich porter and az they were teenagers they were teenagers when they got into the game. And some of these kids, I'm not talking about them. Some of these kids are um, never had anything. So when they see an OG per se or somebody older say, hey, you can get this for this. And they come up on a little bit of money. And then they touching thousands. They go from, you know, having holes all in their shoes, not having, you know, free lunch line, whatever. And then out of nowhere, they're making thousands a day. Then some of them will start, you know, becoming real kingpins. They bring it in a million a week. And of course, that's the fast life. They've never seen anything before, not anything like that before. And not to mention on how the movie Scarface was glorified, where that was like the commercial. Everybody wanted to be Tony Montana. And even if you look at today, when you look at everybody's, um, most people had a big wall picture of Tony, Man Tony Montana in their living room, game room, whatever. They got that big wall picture of him sitting there like the world is yours. But when you look at the end of the movie, how did he end up? You know, nobody wanted to be like Sosa. Everybody wanted to be like Tony. And you know, these kids, they didn't, they didn't see on how everything was. And then a lot of people didn't even see it till later on, on how it was all just a setup. They were allowed to get away with selling all of this, bringing all this into the community and what it brought the community to. And the story of, and I do want to talk about this one day, the story of Peyton Fudd is very wicked and tragic. Like on how they did that, they did a, a made a cult it was based off their lives. They made it look good on a, on a uh, movie, but that story is very dark. It is very dark when you think about Rich Porter's younger brother, Donnell, who was 12 years old and out of all of this drug money on how he was used by his uncle and set up and kidnapped, finger cut off and, you know, killed, murdered by a plan of his own uncles. So it showed you on how wicked this this crack game was and all this money and corruption coming in was and how so many children and innocent people lost their lives. So like I said, it's very, and, you know, it then it showed, and this is interesting too, I mentioned it in um, the documentary that we recapped on Freeway. 
it just showed you how much access they had to everything and how it wasn't hard you know like how they say the war on drugs how how they made it easy for all of this to happen and you, you see a man like freeway freeway was the kingpin of crack especially in los angeles and um this was a man who could not write he couldn't read and he was touching a million dollars a day touching it you know was running through and after profits he was bringing in you know 350,000 he was buying motels theaters um homes body shops and he was the youngest in LA to ever do it a man with no education he didn't he could not read or write and you know he said that in a documentary that he touched that much money a day you know like that's crazy and it showed other former dealers in there um like I said told you guys before freeway Rick Ross the snowfall television show that we're covering that is loosely based off of his life um I did that documentary recap go check that out guys I did that a couple weeks back that's on, on the platform as well and it goes to show um Miss T she was a former dealer and she was from New York she's she's official she's definitely official she's done a lot of interviews and y'all know when I shout out Jamil from Gully TV he's interviewed her as well so that's why I'll be telling you guys go check out his interviews because he's you know the stuff we talk about he's interviewed a lot of these people who was in deep in the game so yeah she she was official and um she goes to show how she got ptsd from everything that she went through uh she was making a lot of money in the streets and she was shot and she was deep deep in the streets and it showed you on how the audience kids had so much access to stuff to just you know they started off having ak-47s handguns uzis and they started um just selling you know different guns in the city everybody had a gun and then they start settling their differences that way so back in the 70s you know everybody wanted to you know get into it we could do it out it's the end of the day you know everybody had a little gang they fought it was the end of it but when they um brought all this money in with the uh, crack it also brought more violence and it showed you on how everything got more violent and all the just the fighting we just put the knuckles up and deuce it out that went out the window now it's time we about to kill you and it was so many murders in all inner cities in my hometown <laughs> in the 80s it was a lot of killing in new york in los angeles chicago um it, it it showed all of that and they were showing real footage in there you've seen a lot of dead bodies you've seen kids um it showed real news footage in the 80s of a little girl she was just like i don't i stay in the house because i don't want to get shot this baby looked like she was about 19 years old that was in there as well um it just brought so much so so much more violence in and they even had former detectives in there you know who are retired and they were saying like a few years before that you would see a dude walking up the street and you know that wouldn't be that would be a young man that you wouldn't mind dating your sister inviting them to church inviting them over for dinner and then within a few years he got into this game right here and he became like a monster you know what I'm saying like because that game made you vicious because you had to protect yourself and he was saying like it was some kingpins in the street that even the police was scared of and you know you got your little hush money cops was paid off and it just 
it just was what it was. And it happened within, um, it happened in a amount of a short time, in a short time. And we're going to get to that in a minute because I had mentioned it before. But um, they go on the show, you know, funeral after funeral, babies, young children. Um, it showed a mom where she was, um, they were saying that she took her nine-year-old to his friend's funeral. And when they were looking at him in a casket, he was nine and saying, mama, you know, when I had my funeral, don't dress me like that. Dress me where everybody recognized me at. And I'm like, that that shit is crazy you know a nine years old who should be able to be a child and i'm big on kids being kids i don't like you know just grown grown kids but it showed you and you know all of that that was going on that was a reality for them they didn't have time to be a childhood because no matter how hard you try times was hard people had to work to to survive their family i mean to survive for their family and kids was getting these lessons and they were seeing all of this fast money they were seeing 11 14 kids having more money than your full paycheck with all of this that they allowed to come over here and they just show real uh footage of citizens being scared to come outside in their neighborhood you know because it was some people who just was against all this shit and they were scared like good civilians who wasn't in the streets and just wanted to work. And in the meantime, they had to deal with straight bullets, people running into their house because a lot of more, a lot of more robbery started happening because people was getting strung out and they would get money by any means necessary just so they could get that high. And a lot of police didn't care. They was getting paid off by the dealers. It was corruption everywhere. And there were so many officers they showed in this documentary that was indicted. It was the blue wall of si silence and cops did not tell on cops. Um, it, uh, it was one more point I wanted to make and I forgot what it was. I seen it in the documentary, but I'll, it'll come back to me in a minute. So it goes on and it says chapter four, the virus. And this was like a virus that hit. And we see a former user in a documentary saying um, she was a, well, she hadn't been cleaned up yet. So she was a user. This was real footage. This is straight 80s. She looked like it, this was straight footage from the 80s, real footage. You know, you had them going down there, interviewing people, taking their news crew down there. And she was just normal with it. Like, oh yeah, I ain't, I ain't been home in four days. I've been eating though, but I ain't slept in four days. I ain't been home in four days. I got 11 year old. I ain't seen them. I think they with my mama. I miss them though. And it's just like, what the fuck? Because, you know, this drug was so powerful. It took people from their families. You had women who were just women who worked hard, was a family, woman, wife, whatever. And John Singleton put it best. He was saying like, you had the Jim Crow era, you had the civil rights movement, but it this crack thing was so strong more than any of them and did more damage because this was the one thing that took mothers, mothers who were who were about their children, it took them away from their kids. It made them, you know, separate their self from their body. Like they they weren't themselves anymore. And she was 95. She's like, she was 95 pounds. She hadn't seen her kids. And, you know, the drug is separated, separated people from themselves. And we see a former user saying, you know, she worked hard to raise her children. And one day she touched it and got addicted. And she lost 
everything everything and then at this time not only was it a drug epidemic it was the aids epidemic that was out and women would sell themselves they would sell their children um we see all these generic commercials all in the documentaries in the 80s uh you know their favorite slogan of the 80s just say no and on top of that, you know, you got the the janky little commercial. Oh, I hated this commercial. It used to be in TV shows too, when they try to give a little message, and you know, they crack the little egg and be like, "When when um this is crack, and this is your brain when it is on crack." And they crack the egg. You know, that egg commercial. They even had it on television show. And then you see the um, the politicians and on being so hypocritical you know because they were turning blind eyes to fund a damn war that had nothing to do with us and it goes to show that in 1979 and we covered this we talked about it in narcos when we did our narcos recaps we talked about it um in the last narc we did that documentary recap we talked about it we're talking about it currently heavy in snowfall but it goes to show in 1979 when the Sandinistas took over in Central America, in Nicaragua, Reagan was obsessed with this war. You know, he um, he was uh, he hated communism. He hated communism sympathizers. He was against it. And Congress, you know, Congress was not finna fund all of that. They started, but then they weren't finna fund all of that. We had problems here with the recession that was going on with the unemployment. And we um they show us in this documentary how on how first we started selling missiles and rockets to Iran illegally and that was bringing in 15 to 30 million that they would that would go to the war. Um we see John Kerry in his documentary and he was um doing the committee hearings and I watched this whole hearing like I said when I've done my research on all of this stuff my plan I just sat down and watched the little court hearings and they all on YouTube but yeah John Kerry he was um doing the hearings and he was not playing we see they showing real footage of Maxine Waters and she been fighting that fight a long time um we see it was all about defeating communism. And I remember when the whole change was coming and when John Kerry was uh, running against Bush, um, his second term, because his first term, uh, little Bush, he ran against Gore. And that was a mess. If you remember the 90s after Clinton, when he really ran them two terms, then came Gore and Bush. Then when Bush went again and Kerry, if you see, um, like, I don't think you can trust no politician, but when you see the fight that John Kerry had in him, you know, it just showed you all of them one playing a dirty game. But they were against funding all of this. We had enough problems over here and they was not playing. They was not playing. It showed all in the in the documentary. And we see. Um, Lynn Bias, he was a college basketball player, number 34 of um, University of Maryland, and he was just drafted to the Celtics in 1986. He played against Jordan, and he was the next, you know, best thing. You know, they were, they were, he was the it, you know, he was just drafted, and he became the face of this drug when he went to a party, and they saying that it was crack related where he died from, and then 
<clears throat> a week later, a football player, he died shortly, and his name was Don Rogers, and he was a quarterback of Cleveland the Cleveland Browns and he died a week after and they were saying it was cocaine related as well so like that even helped it more to become like a black drug with the face of it and how people were dying and how strong it was how it was taking down strong athletes and that was a real big deal with Lynn Bias dying and then shortly after Don Rogers dying and they're saying that it was um crack related and it just goes to show that um in the 80s all over the news, they were saying only thing you heard was epidemic, epidemic, crack, crack, the crack plague. We even see Ronaldo, what's his name, Ronaldo Faldo, honey, he had that um, talk show back in the 90s. He was at a hospital and he was holding a crack baby. And then they made, um, when you seen how the media handled this was ridiculous. They made it like the face of the black woman just being out there, not taking care of her children. And you seen all of, they were showing all of the babies and they were saying how, you know, in a few more years, 50% of the inner city schools were going to have these children in here. And when you think about it, it was racist in, in, in the media, how it, they played a hand in it. And they're showing all of these drug babies saying in 60% for in four years, three, four years, these, these kids are going to be going to school with your kids and how they were born with, you know, all of this in their system. And it was also a lady in there who was depressed. And she, this was, she was telling her testimony and her story. And she had just went to the doctor. What they say, when you depressed, when you got a lot going on, go to your doctor, talk to them. They might can get you some help, you know, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Just keeping it all the way funky. Nobody cares about a black woman tears like others, you know, like they just look at us like we supposed to be strong, black, you know, whatever. But she was, she went to the doctor and was telling her doctor, everything she had going on. And they, he asked her, like, well, you know, have you ever tried drugs? She let him know that she had tried it, but she wasn't an addict. And he turned all her stuff over to the um, police the police and they came and raided her home they took her in she lost her children she lost her life just from what she told her doctor which is a HIPAA violation and it also showed a white nurse who was working at these hospitals and she was asking a lot of questions and they had the footage of that where they was like, I don't think you're supposed to be asking all these questions. And she was secret drug testing these women and handing all of the information to the police. And they were coming to the hospital, putting handcuffs on a lot of these pregnant women. And the sad part is the crackheads, like they like to call them, they were villainized. They were villainized and it, it's, it's disappointing because when you look at 2021 and when you look at the, op the opioid crisis and by you got social media out here and cameras everywhere, they can't just, the media can't just glorify it like it's just a black thing. So you see who's affected. It's a lot of people affected by the opioid crisis that's going on now. And now it's more of a sympathy thing where they don't villainize them. They're saying, oh, we need to get them help. We need to get them this mental health, mental health, just all of this stuff now. But back then on how everybody was villainized and this was a new drug that was out. People were just trying it and it just took over. It just took over. You had women who had worked their whole lives, were married, fathers who had been in the household, everything, and they just lost it all, you know? And then, like I said, you had the dealers. I, I like to look at it from both points, 
because everybody was human. It was a lot going on. It was a recession. You had kids who were poor and they looking like, hey, we get this money. We ain't never seen this type of money before. And you're looking at people who just was going through a lot. May have just been out partying, try something that they never could get that monkey off their back. You know what I'm saying? It's just sad. And there were people trying to protect the community. It was good people out there who was trying to protect the community. They were holding press conferences. They were doing marches, and they wanted their communities back. And we see a lot of the politicians who are in power today in the 80s, and now their tune has changed. Mr. Joe Biden, he was in there, real footage of a conference. at He was the House of Representatives, and See, all of this hit. The recession was in 82. Everything got to coming in. Everything was just going hard. But in 1986, it was election year. So now, you know, an election year, it's very scary times because it's time to crack down. And I've mentioned this part before. Remember, we just got done talking about how everything was coming in. All of these teenagers was out here making money, dealers, whatever. But in 1987, between 1987 and 1989, most of those people were locked up and they all were people of color in the inner cities. Mexican, black, brown and black people, they were all locked up <clears throat> between the years of 87 and 89. And I talked about that when we um, did the, the BMF documentary. I said most of the dealers, you know, like look at how long, that showed you how powerful and organized they were they were because of how long their reign went. Because most of the big, big dealers, they were locked up by 89. They were locked up by 89. And normally it takes, you know, when, when they were in this election and they were just was trying to knock everything out, normally it takes years to put a full a full bill together. But during this election year, it took them four weeks and they wrote the book for drug dealers. We see Nancy Reagan, you know, Ronald Reagan, they smiling while they, um, you know, signing this bill and talking about how they about to crack everything down and got this new legislation and it was showing showing like you know if you had 500 grams of coke that was equivalent if you got caught with five grams of crack and it was you were getting sentenced five to 40 years and the, the shit they wrote was just too fast and in 1988 it got extended to users so at first it started with dealers where if they had five grams of coke they, they probably wouldn't even sit a light a day if they got a public offender and then when it went to the users when it extended on down to not only the dealers but the users as well they got the same penalty and this law was written in four weeks and it's just very sad. Like I said, I was emotional watching this. Um, you know, it showed us on how cocaine was the rich man's drug. It was a secret drug, but crack was just out there. And they seen it and nobody cared. They they tore blind eye until it was time for election year for them to crack down. So after the Reagan era, you know, after his decade, just about, in 1989, his best friend, Big Bush, Big Bush come and take over, September 89, and he do a press conference saying the rules have changed. And they showed this clip in Narcos, and I laughed so hard because, gotcha, he up in there, he like, 
Pablo like, is he serious? And he like, he's smoking that shit. I guarantee. <laughs> that part was just funny in the Narcos television show because they showed this exact clip of uh, Bush coming in and he like, the, the rules have changed. And um, it just shows on how a setup it was. This story was really sad. It had an undercover cop who was working with the DEA and they told him like, we got to have you do this deal in front of the White House. So he goes and find a teenager, tells him he got to, you know, do a deal. He tells him like, look, meet me at the White House. The dude was a teenager. He didn't even know where the White House was at. And he was like, all right, how do I get there? The undercover cop told him how to get there. They sat there. They did the deal. And on Big Bush first press press conference, they talked about how, can you believe they're trying to sell in front of the White House and we got them arrested? And they had the same bag that he had sold to the undercover cop. And the undercover cop is in his documentary. And he's talking about how he was just looking at the news like, oh, shit, you know, like, that was it was all a setup you know political and that young teenager he got 10 years in prison he they had his face covered but he got 10 years in prison and to me that's what I would call entrapment if you ask me I'm sorry it just is what it is that young boy lost his life and they had him come there and you know of course it was you know public size and made bigger because he actually did a deal in front of the White House he didn't even know where the White House was at and I'm just like, just think about it like if that's your son, you know, it was so much, it was just so easy access to get, you know, and everybody, you know, when you kids you just want new shoes and they might have just been in it, just a kid, like I just want new shoes. And it, it's a different game when it comes to the inner communities, because when you get to the, the upper echelons, they do their dirt too. When you go to them rich colleges, oh, it's all kind of stuff that go on in there. But their thing is boys will be boys. You know, they're just boys. Boys would be boys. But when it's an inner city, they like to look at them like monsters. And it's very disheartening. And it just shows you on how this was all a setup and how it was very, very, very sad. Um, but yeah, this this documentary was straight fire. And it also goes to show, and I've mentioned this before, um, on how the game changed when <sighs> Edward Edward Byrne got killed. Edward Byrne was a 22-year-old rookie cop in Jamaica, Queens. Um, I read this book on him when I read the book. I think I got it right here. It's a really dope book if you guys want to read it. It's called Fat Cat, 50 Cent, and the Rain Supreme. And it's the rise of the hip-hop hustler. It's by Ethan Brown. And it got a lot of stories, documents in there of the Supreme team. Like I told y'all, I'll be reading. I do my research. <laughs> but um, they break down the story. And don't get me wrong, it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, you know, they didn't say it too much in the documentary. But to make a long story short, it was an older man who had been getting harassed by drug dealers. He was testifying against them. And, you know, they had to had a, a guard watching his house 24 hour surveillance. And it was Edward Burns um, shift that night. And some dealers came, some young drug dealers came. They were all teenagers. I think it was three of them. And they shot him. And when they did that, that changed the game. It, it was no more. Uh, uh-uh. uh. It, it just, you know, you don't kill a cop, and that changed the game. And it was more that went into that. <clears throat> they didn't just do it because 
that more goes into the fat cat story um real interesting story so that's why i said check out that book um queen's reign reign supreme and it's got a lot of stuff in there about the supreme team but when edward byrne died that changed the game and they got to playing that song whoop whoop that's the sound of the police that's my jam by krs1 and they won playing after edward byrne got killed uh, it was the sound of the police. They was coming. They had it. They made a TNT task force, and they was coming with vengeance. They, they, it. If you had, even if you didn't have anything to do with it, <coughs> you were about to. If you didn't have nothing on you, you was about to have something on you. They was gonna put something on you. They came with the vengeance, and due to this was <clears throat> the black community, they couldn't differentiate what was good or bad, like, they just looked at everybody, like, they didn't just say, okay, those are good working civilians, they don't have anything to do with this, nope, they looked at you like you were either a dealer or a user, and in their eyes, everybody was the same, and then it, it jumps ahead a little bit, and it showed us in the documentary how Big Bush, he laid the groundwork down, but in 1993, y'all favorite president, Bill Clinton, he came and finished it with that with that crime bill. And they were turning police into soldiers. They gave them all type of resources. And when that 1994 crime bill hit, incarceration increased. Two thirds of crackheads um, were crack were white crack smokers. And in all the arrests and all the indictments, they were all black. It goes to show you that in 1985, the, incurs- the mass incarceration was 16,600. You go to 1995, it was 134,000. And remember, I said that before. I said in 87 and 89, most of them got locked up. But by 95, most of those 80s, I mean, you had some that got away, got legit, washed their money, invested, but you had most of them were either murdered or incarcerated to this day and that was a seven and seven hundred and seven percent increase from 1985 to 1995 let me repeat that again in 1985 16,600 arrests 1995, 134,000. In 1996, though, that's when people started to notice something ain't right. You know, like all the men, all the boys, they gone. They locked up. Of some shit that people turned, the people who were saying just say no, turned the blind eye, blind eye. So stuff could get over here so they could fund a war that had nothing to do with us. And at the cost of the, I mean, if you want to help, that's cool. But it costed the American peoples, especially the um, the inner cities. And on the, the inner cities, because the American people got affected by getting hooked on drugs. But the inner cities paid the cost. Because when you look at the so-called drug war in the 80s, even if you look at Pablo now, you know, you could call Pablo and whatever you want, but they were allowed to get all of this over here. And then look at most of them. Look at, you know, even though I'm not taking up for anything the Guadalajara cartel them did or anything, but look at who, how they went out. Most of them were either murdered by the police or um, locked up to this day as well. And then you look at 
the dealers in the black community, most of them were murdered or locked up to this day. But who they say brought it over here, they talked about it in Los Angeles. Because Los Angeles got to kicking up steam. And you see Maxine Waters, she wasn't she won about the games. Maxine Waters don't play to this day. And she was, they was holding press conferences about how all of this stuff got over here. And the head of the CIA had to come to Los Angeles. John Dutch, something he probably regretted he did because they went off and let him have it. Like, how did this get over here? You know, and they held the CIA to task like it was it was becoming big. It was becoming steam. And by this time, Gary Webb, a journalist who really carried the story and, you know, shed light on what even happened with Freeway Rick and his uh, connect bland on and how he was an asset to the CIA. It was so much steam that he had to come down. So this documentary was really good. A lot of people lost their lives. A lot of people lost family members to incarceration, to death. A lot of people lost innocent family members. And it just shows you the corruption and the effect it did to the inner cities and especially the black community. Like I said, when I watched this, it just... It brought tears to my eyes. This was my second time watching it, but I wanted to watch it um, another time just because I wanted to talk about it on a podcast. I've been telling you guys like about different things I wanted to cover, and that was one of them. But um, before we go into season two of Snowfall, before um, it shows us on how people are about to get strung out, Snowfall is a really good show. Um, it's entertaining, but also it shows you of what happened. A lot of it... <clears throat> is based off things that happen. So that's why I kind of wanted to go more into this documentary. I love researching a lot of stuff that happened in the 80s. I'm an 80s baby, um, even though I grew up in the 90s. I was born in the 80s, and it was just a different time. And um, a lot of stuff that happened affected stuff to this day. And that was just emotional one for me. Y'all know I got emotional off when I did the last night, too. I love covering docs. We'll continue to cover docs, television shows as the platform grows. Um, don't forget to, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this recap. I hope you guys have a beautiful, safe weekend. I'm dropping content all weekend, of course. I'll come back tonight. We'll do Snowfall Season 2, Episode 1 and 2. We'll do BMF <clears throat> on Sunday. Don't forget, you can hit me up on my social media platforms, Alicia Shanice. And if y'all love music and have Spotify, follow me on there. Alicia Shanice is the channel, and Shanice Loves is all of my title playlists. So on that note, I hope you guys enjoyed. It's your girl, Shanice, and I'm out. Hope you enjoyed the show with your girl, Shanice.